Okay. Welcome to tonight's presentation on the Fasacopolis, the changes to the upcoming financial aid rules for people who are applying for financial aid this year, which means the 2024-25 academic year, but that's happening now. Andy Lockwood, Lockwood College Prep, welcome. A- I see a lot of people here joining. Uh, this is one of our larger audiences maybe ever. More than 400 people registered. I see close to 200 people coming on. A, make sh- uh, let me know that you can see and hear. Okay. Um, Pearl is behind the scenes gathering and helping with questions. So just let us know in chat. And B, I want to give you my, uh, my warnings about what we're going to be covering tonight. So, hey to Linda Stewart, Chris, Rebecca, Wendy, Wade. I see a lot of people coming on. Oh, Jeff is here. Good. Uh, College advisor Jeff, Reka, Bernie, Steve, Adam, Lisa. Just let us know that we're coming in loud and clear. Thank you, Bernie, Rachel, Michelle, Melissa, and Rick. Rick, the CPA, is here. Wow. He goes to a lot of our webinars these days, right? I wish he had better things to do, but... Um, he's a great CPA, legendary, just ask him. So, all right. So tonight we're talking about the fast apocalypse, the changes that are, as you may guess, not all great changes that are pending for financial aid this year. It's a mixed bag. I'll say there, there's some changes that are, are okay. And there's some changes that I would say are uh, downright anti middle-class and uh, upper income families. So um, that's probably the case, I guess, with every policy or law or regulation that gets enacted. So no surprise here. There are intended consequences and what we think are going to be unintended consequences. So I'm going to be talking about that. Again, this is for people who are planning to apply for aid next academic year and beyond. So just to date stamp this, uh, this is the beginning of September 2023. Financial aid applications will be coming out in a matter of a week slash months. I'll be talking about that. And they're going in for people who are, number one, graduating high school in 2024 and starting college in the 24-25 academic year, as well as people who are already in college who will be there um, during that time period, and younger kids. So that's who it's about um, and who this is geared for. I have to say this. I have to say two things. Number one, um, this is going to be a relatively fast, this is kind of an impromptu, quick and dirty um, presentation. I did not prepare any slides. I was, I've actually just been too busy in the office to do that. Plus, we dropped three of our kids off in college in the last, uh, I guess, we had like a nine-day stretch where we where we dumped three kids in various colleges. Two of the drop-offs were easy, and one was just hellish. Um, so... Uh, so that's why this is sort of impromptu. It's going to be incomplete. I'm just going to sort of highlight the changes that I think are going to be helpful to understand, particularly in terms of advice and strategies on how to get more money um, based on these these new changes. So it's going to help you get to know a little bit about what's in store for you. And frankly, it's going to be a little bit of guesswork, too, because um, the form, the new application, the FAFSA, free application for federal student aid, has not come out yet. It's pending. We think it's going to be at the end of December. 
So that's the second thing I wanted to say. It's, it's, I, I'm going to admit in, in many cases, I'm going to be delivering educated guesses subject to change. And the third thing, which I say, uh, learned this the hard way, which I say in pretty much every webinar is, um, I think a lot of the stuff that's going to come out of my mouth, which may surprise me too, uh, is not going to be the same old, same old that you have heard from your guidance counselor or the local rep from a local college who may have come to your high school, uh, you know, no matter where, what part of the country you are from. And um, some of it may be flat out contradictory. Some of it may sound a little offensive. I don't mean to be offensive most of the time, um, particularly when it comes to guidance counselors. Although I am finalizing my new book, uh, which I think will offend some people. Some of you may have already downloaded a version of this and that's how you found us. <laughs> so, so that's why a lot of what I say is not the same. It's not the same stuff you hear from your guidance counselor. Okay. So let's get right into the, the strategies and then, uh, and, and then at, at any time lob in your questions, I'm just going to be um, working through these strategies and these FAFSA and financial aid changes and then stopping to answer questions and Pearl will probably uh, throw in some of her information and answers too. She's behind the scenes tonight. Normally she'd be on camera, but she had some uh, some mouth surgery yesterday. So she's she's healing. Okay, so one of the changes that have occurred from the FAFSA Simplification Act is that the FAFSA is now officially shorter. It went from about 108 questions down to around 46. However, depending on how you answer some of those 46, there will be other sub questions. So it's a little deceptive. Overall, it's a shorter application. It also streamlines how income goes into the FAFSA. Um, and, and again, I'm only talking about one financial aid application, the FAFSA. I'm gonna make some comments about other ways to apply for aid in, uh, in um, uh, a few minutes. So um, it's gonna be a little bit easier to get your income inf uh, information into the FAFSA. It was a little cumbersome for some families before. That could be an issue too for, for people who don't quite fit in the box in terms of their income, like what's, what's reported historically on the uh, income taxes. So if you have someone who's graduating 2024, you're gonna be using your income tax returns from 2022. If things have changed drastically since then, since 2022, like you're no longer filing jointly, you're filing separately, maybe you're divorced or separated. Um, normally what Pearl would do in our financial aid uh, portion of our practice was she would manually carve out the income of the person filing so it doesn't look like it's artificially inflated. You can't do that anymore. <clears throat> Is that fatal? No, but that's just one example of a probably good change that may have some unintended uh, side effects that are not so good. Um, I said this at the beginning, if you're just joining us, most of the changes are going to benefit low-income families by doing things like expanding Pell Grants and making them more eligible in general, but at the expense uh, by, by hurting middle-class and upper-income families. So that's, that's just the way it is. I'm not politicizing or editorializing, but I think that's a, an accurate way to look at some of these changes. So let's get into those changes and then some of the strategies. And brace yourself for my high budget uh, audio visual effects, special effects. This is this is CGI. Here we go. Here's the first change. This is the dumbest change, by the way. 
the old term EFC, which stands for expected family contribution, which is supposed to be the number that in a perfect world you would qualify, you would have, you would qualify to be able to pay for college, has been changed effective when the new FAFSA comes out to SAI or student aid index. Why it's supposed to be less confusing. I'm not gonna spend any time on it, but I feel like in order to give you a relatively complete uh, class, complete class tonight, I had to tell you that. So there's no more expected family contribution. It's now called the student aid index. Either way, who cares? No one's gonna really notice, I think, except for some sticklers. The whole point of it is to demonstrate how much in a perfect world you should pay for college. Hardly anyone's ever happy with their EFC or what's going to be their SAI. <clears throat> so that's, that is the most boring and least relevant um, aspect of, of tonight's presentation. Here's one of the biggies. The sibling discount, quote unquote, sibling discount that has gone away. Now, 60% of families who file for financial aid have more than one child in college at the same time. We, we Pearl and I are one of them. We have three kids in college under the old rules. Um, let's say our old EFC slash SAI was $50,000. That meant the government thinks that we can afford $50,000 if we had one kid in college. That seems like a high number. Just, just work with me here. <clears throat> if we then sent a second child to school and everything else stayed the same, our income, our savings, you name it, then our expected family contribution slash SAI would be halved. It would be $25,000 because it's a family contribution. So in other words, the old formulas acknowledge that um, it's not easy to send more than one kid to college at the, at the same time. It's expensive. Um, the formulas are heavily skewed toward income. And that would in effect sort of apportion your income among your between or among your, your kids. That's gone away. So now whether you have one kid going to college and, uh, and 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 five or five kids going to college, if you have the same income, same savings, everything else was the same, the two families are financial doppelgangers, they will be viewed the same in the financial aid formulas, which to me is not only personally nuts, but it's just nuts in general. But that's one of the big changes, and it's gotten a bunch of news coverage, but not enough as far as I'm concerned. So what do you do about that, right? You can't um, keep a kid home. Well, maybe you could, but what do you do about that, that development? Well, there's two things. One is after you get a financial aid award, you have the opportunity to appeal that award. You have the opportunity to, uh, to say, listen, um, is there, I think you got something wrong here or here's some new information that you don't know about or something along those lines. Can you take another look at my eligibility and here's why i'd like you to do that um i can't really give a reason reasoned opinion on this but so far it looks like that the rules for appeals have expanded a little bit and it looks like just reading between the lines and all the webinars and conferences and chit chat i am I'm part of as a college advisor it looks like colleges in general are going to be open to that as a source of appeal, even though the federal rules, the new rules treat people with multiple kids the same as with one child, they looks like they might be open to that as a source of appeal. We will see. The second thing I want to point out is that this presentation is geared very heavily on the federal rules. 
every college in the country takes this form called the FAFSA, Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Approximately 400 colleges, give or take, require an additional form. And these colleges generally are the private schools that have their own money and their own, therefore they have their own way of doling out that money called the institutional methodology as opposed to the federal methodology. I know this is a little boring, but just, just I think you need to know this. I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, they can do whatever they want. And, and it does not seem like so far that there's any inkling that they too have decided to eliminate the sibling discount. I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think colleges can really do that, especially with people who are like, like me and Pearl, but like a lot of you guys probably have a situation where um, you'll have the last year, a couple kids in the school and the next year, maybe you'll have the same two kids in college. It's unlikely. I think politically uh, for the colleges to take away money um, for families that are already there. So that is definitely a big deal to be determined, but I am cautiously optimistic that's not going to be an awful one. Okay. Moving right along. This is the third change here that I want to talk about for small business owners. Not a good change. And this is small business owners and owners of farms. So the deal with the old rules before the rule changed this year is that the, and most people didn't know this, so I don't know how big of a deal this is actually going to be, but we knew this and we had a lot, we have a lot of small business owner clients. And there's a question on the FAFSA that asks you to value your business. For most people in the fine print, the value of their business or farm, because uh, we do have a couple of farming clients and we also grow tomatoes. Uh, we have one tomato growing currently in our backyard and um, I've had four cucumbers in the last couple of weeks. So I relate to farmers. So it's funny. Pearl's laughing. Um, is that the rule was if your business or farm employed fewer than 100 employees, then the value of your business was zero. Most CPAs didn't know this. Most, most people never saw this because it was kind of buried in the instructions. Well, now that's gone. That rule has changed. Again, I don't think it's that big a deal because most people missed that but I'm a little miffed because that was one of our pet go-to strategies. I think it's aimed at people who um, buy real estate and stick those into a corporation and then say that's, that's the value. Um, what do you do to counteract this? Well, I think anyone with common sense would understand that there's more than one way to value anything, particularly a business. And that's why there's a whole industry of valuation experts who testify at you know, trials when partners sue each other and, Self-employed people, people get divorced and all that type of thing. So uh, I would, and this is what I expect we're going to be doing too for our clients, I would urge you to come up with, if you own a business and you have this question, a low, reasonable, defensible, but lowball uh, valuation for your business. So for example, if you have a, look, we have a business, you know, we have a, uh, it does seven figures, not that you need to know that or anyone cares. But um, I don't think I, I can make the argument that if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, uh, there's nothing to sell. Um, of course, Pearl's here too, so that's that's. But you get the point. She uh, she she would carry on. She probably would triple it. But um, if you had to sell your business in a fire sale, like you had to sell it because the feds were closing in and uh, you had to just get out, 
like uh, in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. You got to call the vacuum cleaner guy and, and get out of town. But first, you want to liquidate things. That's a different valuation than if you have like an auction and you stage it out over, you know, you build up to it, you stage it out over a month, that type of thing. So I would encourage you to try to lowball, but it's got to be in a defensible way, the valuation of your business. Okay. Next change. Change number four. Um, this is actually a combination one. I'm talking about, this is shorthand. I'm talking about grandma and grandpa. So under the old rules, if a grandparent or some other family member, not the mom or dad, sent money to a college on behalf of the students, then that would affect negatively the student's eligibility. So if, if grandpa pays 20 grand to the college the following year, the kid would have gotten his his eligibility cut by $10,000, 50% of grandpa's um, cash infusion. Here's a good change. Under the new rules, that is no longer a penalty. So therefore, um, your eligibility will not be reduced the following year. So that is a good change. I want to talk about a couple other good changes here. Um, There used to be the situation where certain untaxed income, you know, income that is either off your tax return entirely or just you know, reported as untaxed income, that used to be added back to your income when you're applying to college. Now, certain of those types of income no longer penalize you. One of those is workman's comp. And another one, which uh, I think Pearl saw practically all the time, and we, we talk about this a lot, is if you made a contribution to your 401k or other retirement plan, a pre-tax contribution. So let's say you earn $180,000 and you contribute $20,000. So your tax returns show the adjusted gross of 160 for financial aid purposes under the old rules, that'd be 180. You with me? They would add back that $20,000 type. Yes. If you understand what I'm saying, cause I don't want to get too, I don't think that's in the weeds too much, but it's really just, I'm trying to do like, third grade arithmetic here. So you, you had income of 180, you, you contribute $20,000, your adjusted gross was 160, but for financial aid purposes, 180. Now under the new rules, it's gonna be that lower number, 160. They're not gonna penalize you for, uh, for, for contributing to your retirement income, which is pretty good, right? Because it used to be, I guess the theory was, you can't double dip, you can't improve your eligibility for financial aid and get the tax benefit. Well, now the Department of Education is uh, throwing us a bone here for, uh, for doing that. So I think that's pretty cool. And another benefit, and I, I couldn't really, um, this is still in that, in that grandparent category. Is everyone impressed by these? Look at that penmanship. It's like calligraphy quality. Um, is, and I just want you to uh, um, follow me here too. I'm gonna try to be succinct. <clears throat> There's a question on the on the, uh, on the FAFSA about assets. Many questions, actually. One of them is about your 529s. So under the old rules, um, you would you would be able to you would only have to uh, report 529s that were owned either by the parent or the child. The, the typical setup is the parent owns the 529, the child is the equivalent of the beneficiary. But many families have. 529 set up where the grandparent, you know, grandpa or grandma, owns the 529 
and the child is the benefit, the student is, is the beneficiary. Under the old rules, that wouldn't appear anywhere on the FAFSA. So, you, okay, so maybe you're wondering, well, why am I bothering to tell you that? Well, under the old rules, keep in mind what I just told you before, once the money from that 529, 529 was used to then uh, go to the college, to pay for college, then that would affect the kid's eligibility the following year. It effectively counted as income to the kid. And if it's $20,000, and the eligibility the following year is reduced by 10000 bucks. So now that is no longer a penalty for the income side. But just to carry out that logic, if mom or dad has a 529 with a decent amount of money in there, and they want to do something to a strategy to shelter, not hide, shelter, double air quotes, um, those funds, then what mom and dad should consider doing is transferring ownership, not the beneficiary, but the ownership of that 529 to grandma or grandpa, or I guess you can do somebody else, but I'm just going to stick with the grandma, grandpa um, example here. So that what that does is remove that 529 from your financial aid balance sheet. Is that going to be a really big deal? Not potentially not so much because parent assets are penalized at roughly 5%, 5.64%. So, you know, if you have a $100,000 529, then you're going to improve your eligibility by 5,000 bucks. You're going to save potentially $5,000 per year, um, potentially, by doing a strategy like this. And there are other strategies that are still valid for sheltering money. I'm going to talk about those uh, momentarily. But that is a potential new loophole that just uh, opened up. And you're hearing that first here live on the most exciting FAFSA Changes webinar that you've attended all September. The most exciting and non-refundable webinar on financial aid changes you've attended all September. Okay. Next. I feel like when you laugh, it's like, I don't know, Stuttering John or Artie or, yeah, yeah. God, I wish. Robba Booey, Robin. All right. Next, low budget sign, CGI, same joke. Okay. Um, well, we have a low budget for new comedic material too. It's not, it's not just uh, signage. So divorce, uh, divorce families, this is a bad change. I'm, I'm not going to pull punches here. I don't like this change at all. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Under the old rules, the parent who should file the FAFSA was the custodial parent. That means the parent that the kid lived with the majority of time the previous year. It had nothing to do with income taxes, who takes the kids, a dependent or whatever. That is gone. The new rules are more aligned with the IRS rules. So now the parent that supports the kid, meaning the parent that takes the dependent deduction in a divorce situation, that's the person who should be filing the FAFSA. So just to go overbroad and extremely sexist, and I know I'm going to be offending people, but what do you expect from a cisgender college advisor whose pronouns are, I don't give a crap, um, is that in a, in a common scenario, not the only one, in a common scenario, in a divorcing situation, the mom would have the low income and the dad would have the high income because mom, many moms stay home, you know, choose to stay home and take care of kids. They sacrifice their careers. 
So it worked out better in that situation when the mom could say, well, the kid lives with me. I should be fine in the FAFSA. Now she doesn't get the benefit. It's the high, it's going to be the high income dad in this common scenario, just to, to paint that picture for you. So that's going to render a lot of families ineligible for financial aid in, in divorced uh, family situations. It's probably going to result in more fighting. I would, if I had to guess between exes who already might have some tension between them. I think it's really unfortunate. Um, there's one saving grace that I'm not really sure how important this is, but uh, under the old rules, any type of child support that came um, you know, to one of the parents, typically the mom in my example, that used to be considered income and penalized at uh, close to 47% of that amount. So if you know, if, if, a mom, if a mom got $50,000 in child support, then her income for financial aid purposes under the old rules is $25,000, 50%, close to 50%, maybe a little bit less. Under the new rules, that income is not penalized 47%, it's penalized at 5% and change. So the, so her eligibility would only be affected by like 2,500 bucks. So that's that's good in a vacuum. But like I said before, I'm not sure if she's going to be the one filing. It's going to be the higher income fam, uh, uh, parent filing. Unless, and here's another tip, unless you switch things up in terms of which parent takes the kid as a deduction and therefore is the one who supports the child more. I am so not an accountant. Rick, the legendary CPA, is on this call. Um, if he's still awake, he can chime in. <clears throat> if any of you guys are awake, you can chime in too. Um but what you have to look at is, well, what are you giving up in terms of the tax benefit for the higher income family, uh, uh, ex-spouse filing versus what's the potential financial aid benefit for the, now the lower income ex-spouse declaring the child as a dependent? That's what you have to look at. And uh, it's probably going to vary from um, family to family, ex-spouse to ex-spouse. I think the other thing about the new rules that I just want to point out quickly before we leave this topic is that um, – you used to be able to say if people were separated without a formal you know, written agreement. Now you need a formal you know, court-approved agreement in order to claim that you're separated. Okay. I see a lot of questions coming in, Pearl. You uh, doing your best here? Okay. Pearl's clarifying slash correcting tactfully. Okay. A um, little bit more uh, sort of final tips here before we go to the Q&A. First of all, um, I've been talking about changes for people applying to school. There's going to be a crap load uh, and, and a, a cluster, you know what, of stuff happening behind the scenes at colleges because they are not getting these new rules and regulations till the end of December. Same thing with us, by the way. And they're going to be scrambling to implement these things and update the software. First time in 40 years. Um, I'm not telling you this to let to make you feel sorry for them that they have to work harder but that, you know you probably should but what i'm telling you is to set your expectations that this is not going to be a smooth process this is going to be really really messy there's going to be delays you're not going to be able to get anyone on the phone it's, it's bad in a normal year it's going to be even worse this year colleges seriously can't afford to staff up and hire more people to uh to, to you know and train them uh, for these changes that was one of the suggestions by richard cordray the, the head of uh uh, the Department of Education. Um, but the reality is that colleges, they don't, you know, even though they charge a lot of money, they, they don't allocate it in this area. 
So it's going to be a long, bumpy ride. You need to understand that and set your expectations that way. Here's my final cue card. <clears throat> don't panic. Um, just because things don't seem to be going right doesn't mean that's the way they're going to be resolved totally. And I just want to reiterate a couple of things. Number one, you can always appeal a crappy financial aid award. I actually um, wrote a book on that a couple years ago, how to negotiate or appeal your crappy merit aid or financial aid award. Um, so there's a lot of strategies there to tell them about new information or extenuating circumstances that they don't know about. Uh, that's basically what the book is about, is kind of walking through some of those arguments. And like I mentioned before, it looks like financial aid offices are going to be more open to appeals this year. This is some of the um, stuff, you know, the raw material that I've appealed on the uh, before that has now been codified into the rules, such as um, if you've had unusual business losses or investment losses or unusual real estate losses, those are grounds for appeal. Um, if you've had, you know, a severe disability of, uh, of a parent or, or student or loss of income, you know, th those are appealable also. And I would definitely try the number of kids in college at the same time appeal, even though they may not fit a box. I think that's worth trying. So don't give up. I want to reiterate also that I'm reiterating because I mentioned this before, but but uh, I think it's worth pointing out again. I'm talking only about FAFSA, you know, uh, which is mostly state university colleges in and out of whatever state you live in. I am not talking about the CSS profile colleges, which tend to be the colleges that are a more generous um, and be more expensive, but they're more generous because they discount the most. So, so far, it doesn't look like there's any major changes pending there, including the sibling discount, including any of this divorce stuff for other reasons. So I think that's okay. Another point I want to make here in closing is that um, most of the techniques that we've used in the past for a portion, a fraction of clients, specifically sheltering assets, meaning moving money around from places that penalize you to places that are exempt, those strategies are untouched. Those are still valid. So if you have money in your child's name, you're penalized at a really high amount. If you have money in your name, you're penalized at a lower amount. If you have a penalty in one of our legal and ethical uh, shelters, like an insurance policy, or in some cases an annuity, those might work because those are exempt assets. We'll probably do a whole other webinar on that uh, coming up because it's sort of that season now. Um, so there still are ways. There still are strategies. I talked before about the 529 strategy. I talked before um, about a few other um, strategies for business owners. I talked about lowballing their business. But there's other strategies, there are other advantages that business owners have that um, we, I, I keep making references to. I'm kidding about it. But Rick, the legendary accountant, who is our personal accountant and also uh, accountants to a handful of our clients, the ones that he likes, um, He's an expert at uh, helping people who are business owners, high-income business owners, lower their income through what he calls tax scholarships, which are provisions in the tax code that a lot of accountants know about, but they just sort of blow off because they're basically just order takers or scriveners you know, or scorekeepers as opposed to strategists. So if you're self-employed, um, for the most part, your strategies are still out there, strategies to shelter income, which could 
make you eligible for financial aid all of a sudden, or it could just free up cash from your business that's locked in there as a tax scholarship uh, or both in, in some cases. Um, the I guess the second to last comment or the penultimate comment, Pearl, we were using that word yesterday, penultimate, is that um, there's actually more merit-based aid out there than there is need-based aid. So everything I'm talking about right now, FAFSA, CSS profile, whatever, that's based on your ability to pay, your income, your savings, et cetera. However, the, the majority of funds that are out there are merit-based. And those are not just for the super tippity top Doogie Hauser genius students. Um, getting merit aid is a function of what pond you fish in, you know, what, what colleges you apply to. So for the most part, the private colleges tend, it's not only them, but for the most part, the private colleges tend to offer merit aid. And it's not the elite ones, not, not the Ivies or the Ivy Plus or the near Ivy schools. Those are generally need-based colleges. But everything under that tier, for the most part, you'll see that's mostly where you'll find these bargains. The average tuition discount, which includes need-based, but it's primarily merit. The average tuition discount by a private college nationally is more than 56%. So that, again, has nothing to do with anything I've been talking about with the changes in FAFSA or CSS profile. It's a function of which colleges give money and, number two, which ones will give money to your child. Has he or she stack up compared to the competition? If you're in the top 10%, 20% in terms of your SAT, ACT, yes, um, GPA, maybe one or two other areas, you have a pretty good shot at winning substantial merit scholarships, maybe even at that median of 56%, maybe more, maybe less, but certainly you don't have to pay full price. Paying full price is a choice. It's not an option. It's a choice. Okay. I'm going to turn to the questions. Just let me flash this one more time. Do not panic. Do not rush. Um, I think I saw some questions about when the form's coming out. We don't know for sure, but they're coming out before January. Unfortunately, that could mean legally it's going to come out. Yeah, legally it has to come out before January. Pearl's uh, expecting December 31st at 11.59. Hopefully it's before then. There's going to be a whole problem with, you know, uh, um, deadlines and all sorts of stuff. We're waiting for colleges to let us know what their priority deadlines are. They've started to talk about it, but I haven't seen a lot of action yet. So we're, we're all in this together. It, it's going to get figured out, but this year is going to be messy, and then next year things should be cleaner and tidier. All right, Pearl, so should I go right to the Q&A here? Yeah, that's All right. And someone raise your hand to speak. I'm going to deny that one. It's only room for one of us in this town, Lori. Sorry. That might have been a mistake, though. Um, all right, talk about them. Uh, Matt, are the politicians fighting the elimination of the sibling discount? Yeah, that actually, uh, there's a guy in Iowa. Uh, can't remember his name, um, but there, yeah. So, so first of all, the one of the outgoing senators of Iowa, uh, I think it wasn't Grassley; it was somebody else. I can't remember. Name escapes me. Um, I think he was the one who was against the sibling discount. <clears throat> but there, there is um, maybe Tester in Ohio. There, there, there definitely there is pending legislation to overrule that, but just pending. Uh, Laura, can you appeal to state college? I'm thinking appeals only work at private colleges. You can appeal anywhere. They tend to work better at the state colleges. 
Oh, Pearl, can you can you put up the offer? To, um, so if anyone, okay, I forgot to mention this. Um, so we do, we do take on clients, you know, to um, to help with financial aid. Uh, no, no surprise there. Um, if you're interested in talking to us about helping you, um, I don't know how many people are on this uh, webinar. I think we hit more than 200, um, but we have, I think on my calendar, only 15 spots uh, currently available just because we're so kind of slammed right now. So if you are interested in, um, in talking, um, Pearl either has or she's about to post the link with the button to click on that, and that takes you to a quick um, short little questionnaire so we can understand a little bit more about you. And then you can schedule time on a calendar. Um, normally, we, you know, for an initial meeting, it's seven hundred and forty-nine dollars. But I'm waiving that because you sat through this webinar and have a leg up on people that I just meet off the street. But that's for uh, fifteen people. Um, and then we, if 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 you um, if you're not one of the first fifteen, just email us, and uh, we'll we'll try to accommodate you. But there, there's gonna be a wait. Um, all right, Laura, I read online that they have already submitted legislation to reverse the farm small business rule. Yeah, I read that too, but who knows if that's going to pass. I hope it does. Um, Elena, great news on not adding back on pre-tax 401k contributions. Do Roth 401k contributions get any favorable treatment? No, because there's no there's no um, tax application there. Uh, Leslie, what if we deduct, what if we each deduct a kid on taxes? Yeah, then then you will be able to be the custom the, the, the person filing for one of those kids. Um, Thea, what if you're fifty fifty and alternate claiming child each year? The fifty fifty doesn't matter anymore. The new rule is whoever claims a child. Matt, does social security disability count toward your income on FAFSA? I think that has been eliminated also, but I can't swear to it. I know for sure it's workman's comp and retirement contributions. Um, but I don't I just don't know that off the top of my head because like I said, this is gonna be a helpful but incomplete presentation. Um, Carrie, so whomever filed the dependent for the divorced parent, can you clarify, please clarify how the child tax deduction specifically changed for the single parent that files it. Um, that didn't change. So just to clarify, whoever declares the kid as a dependent on the tax returns, which is synonymous with saying whoever deducts, you know, takes the deduction, that's the person who has to file. Uh, just to simplify, that's all you need to know. That used to not be the case. Now it is. Uh, Lorraine, uh, if we are using 2022 taxes, the parent that claimed the student is already set. So this would have to be planning for future. Correct. That is correct unless you do a quickie amendment to your tax return. Not advising that, but that would be the one exception. Bernie, um, by the way, I'm not advising that. Re recovering attorney, not an accountant. Recovering in remission attorney. Um, Bernie, how do you think the CSS profile might adapt or compensate for the FAFSA changes? I don't think they will. I think they'll just um, stay as is. If I had to guess, but it's just a guess. Um, Chris, how does this affect students who apply for early decision? Okay, so so what Pearl and I are trying to figure out here, we go back and forth is uh, on this, is that in a normal, just to use an example here, um, normal situation, you apply for early decision like November 1 or November 15th. And then you would get your financial aid applications in right around then too because that would be a separate deadline right around then. 
So November 1, early decision application. November 7th, early decision, priority financial aid deadline. But the problem is that you won't be able to file a FAFSA because it's not going to be released for more than a month later. So let's say you file a CSS profile then. This is a conjecture. You file a CSS profile because that's coming out on time in October. You don't file a FAFSA. Then December 15th rolls around, your child gets in, early decision, and you get a conditional financial aid award based on what you file with the CSS profile, but they were not going to be able to finalize it until months later. That's what we kind of, just as people with, you know, half a brain each, well, brain and a half, um, that's what we are sort of theorizing is going to happen. But if it doesn't, it's going to be something like that. It has to be, but we don't know yet. We don't have guidance from the colleges yet on that. Isn't that fun? I told you this was a non-refundable webinar. Uh, Loria, so all untaxed money is not going to affect the FAFSA. No, not true. Some, some still will. Heather, um, is it too late now for for the next college year, 24-25, if we are stuck with which parent claimed the kids on their taxes? Pretty much unless you amend um, since FAFSA is not available until December, do you think schools will be holding off on giving notice of merit aid awards for students admitted ED or EA? Um, I don't think they're going to hold off on merit. And if they take the CSS profile, I'm hopeful that they'll do a conditional award. That's just Pearl and I specul speculating. Carrie, uh, regarding appeals, who do you appeal to? Oh, good question. The college or directly to the FAFSA program? Yeah, you don't appeal to the FAFSA. You appeal to the the college financial aid office. If it's a merit-based appeal, you appeal to the admissions office. But the FAFSA is just a, a form. It's like appealing to the 1040, you know, the IRS tax return. You don't do that. So you, you appeal to the college. Thank you for asking that question because I gloss over that all the time. I uh, appreciate that. Put her down for question of the day, gold star. <laughs> so you have that going for you. Um, Natasha, is it worth writing a separate letter if a couple are in the middle of a divorce and thus file jointly? Uh, totally because they wouldn't know that otherwise. I don't know if you'll succeed, but that's important, uh, totally relevant information about your ability to pay for college. B -b -b Laura, if your small business would be broke if it paid off its loans, you should do that math. Well, I think um, if you're trying to say that your business has a low value, you you know the, the amount that you owe in debt certainly chips away at that fair market valuation. So I would absolutely... Use that in your lowballing, but but uh, reasonable lowballing of your business value. Um, Preeti, do, do, do the price and the net in the net price calculators are they close to what colleges offer? They tend to be close, but not completely accurate for a variety of reasons, including user error, including some ask for different information than others, but they are directionally accurate. I would say. Uh, Judith, when do you file the FAFSA? When the college tells you to, but it's it's going to be probably January, February for most people. Melissa, if properties are in the business, uh, are the business is value of the business what the properties are worth? Well, um, yes, but but that is in the eye of the beholder too. Again, use the fire sale example. If you had to sell your property within 30 days, your value would be lower than if you marketed for, in theory, you know, six months. Um, plus, interest rates are going up, and you know, there's fewer buyer qualified buyers out there. You know, whatever. Um, Wendy, any new benefits for military families? Yeah, there are some veteran benefits. Uh, that's sort of outside the wheelhouse of my expertise, but but yeah, there, there are. Um, 
Vince, will CS's profile schools be burdened by the FAFSA changeover? Uh, all schools will be. So, yes. <clears throat> Preeti, same question. Uh, Darwin Bravo. That is an awesome name. Um, you get second question of the day just for your name. Did you say we had to provide a copy of a separation agreement? No, you don't have to unless they ask for it. But you have to actually have one. You can't if you're not this year coming up. If you don't have a, a separation agreement that's you know in the court system, you can't say you're separated because a lot of people don't have the agreement and they say they're separated, which, which is fine. But that's not going to be good enough for financial aid. <clears throat> um, Linda, instead of using the IRS link and FAFSA, can you manually put in the info if separated, or does that trigger an, an audit? Uh, <clears throat> Pearl, I don't think you can do a manual input anymore this year. That's what it's looking like. We don't know for sure. Yeah. So so you would tell them the new information they don't know about on appeal. We'll see. Sharon, uh, on FAFSA, must you report the W-2 form box 12A amounts into the question that asks about a payment of a tax-deferred pension, a retirement savings plan, blah, blah, blah. Well, so, so those are the exempt um, those are one of the exempt income events or, or I don't know what you call it, exemptions from untaxed income. <clears throat> so probably not, but we'll see. Last year, yes. This year, probably not. Melissa, if property is the business, is the value? Okay, I asked answer that one already. Yes, properties are the value of the business, but try to lowball it. Uh, Iris, does step parents go on the FAFSA if you're filing as, you know, together as a household? Yes. Um, Lori, can you speak more about the untaxed income? Uh, well, if you have a specific question, I'll try to answer that. Wendy, how do you value business when you're just starting up and at the end of the year, you might be in the red? Zero. That is a perfect example. If you tried to sell it, who would buy it? Uh, Linda, I'm going to try to go fast here, right? Because there's a lot of questions here. Will the schools that require both FAFSA and CSS give a sibling discount? I, I believe so, but that's just a, um, I have no foundation for that belief. Just a gut, gut feeling. Question from A. If married in 2022, filing joint, and have to file marriage separately with mid-year divorce, can I appeal as head of household for 2024, or is it always based on previous tax year filing? It's always based on two years prior years, and you can always appeal. Pauline, how important is it to shelter or move money in and out of the student's name? Um, it depends on the amount and it depends on the schools you're applying to, but the, the range is anywhere from really important to somewhat important um, without knowing more. Uh, Allison. Hey, Allison. When would juniors typically need to file FAFSA? Juniors in college, I think. Um, usually it's later, usually like March, but th- your school will actually have a, a date published. Um, Chris Kipperman, another client. Hey, Chris. As an owner of a small business, you have an interesting business. Is it better to me to value my business value versus an accountant? Um, hmm. um, whatever you do, it's got to be defensible. So if you feel like you might not be able to get away with um, whatever you're trying to value your business at without the help of an accountant, I think I would just consult them. You don't have to do like a formal valuation though. Um, but it's got to be backed up. If they ask you, we think you lowballed it. You're going to have to be prepared to defend. 
Um, Matt, how does EA, early action, negatively affect financial? Uh, early action doesn't have any effect on your financial aid award. Early decision might. That's the one that's binding, quote, unquote, that um, you won't have any other offers to compare it to. Um, Sandra, how does this affect kids already in college and receiving financial aid based on lower income parents' income? Do the new rules apply to them too? Yeah, they do, but that's probably something to appeal or quickly amend your tax returns or something like that. Um, Carrie, thank you. We've been told many times that even though I claim the kids as dependents on taxes, that my ex has to mandatorily file. <clears throat> Since he makes a lot more money, we'll, we'll negate the FAFSA I can get for the kids. So he for sure does not have to file. Hearing so much concern over this. It's now it's there's no it's very black and white. Whoever declares the kids as dependents is the filer. Pearl, you can put whatever you want to say in chat. Just let me just move along here. But it's pretty clear. The rule, the new rule is pretty clear. Um, but she Pearl sounds like she's got an answer that she thinks she can yell it from the other room and get picked up by the microphone. It's supposed to be the parent who provides the most support, which aligns with the tax return. Just put it, put it, put it into, yeah. Okay, put it in, put it in the chat. That's a better answer than what I gave, um, as usual. Um, question from Bernie: Will we be able to do the CSS profile without the FAFSA done? Yeah, sure. Previously, you had to complete the FAFSA first to get access to the CSS profile. No, you don't actually. You never had to do that um, because it's a separate login. They have nothing to do with each other, so you you could. Uh, that was never a rule. Dana has the tap changed. Um, no, not about not this way at all. Tap is the New York State Tuition Assistance Program. Uh, Linda, what if you file a tax return jointly, but the time of FAFSA filing you're separated support? Yeah, well, that's an appeal. Um, Rachel, what does the CSS profile? What does it stand for? <laughs> um, it's, it's it's depending on the colleges you're looking you're, you're applying to, uh, you will you will see if it's required. If, if your colleges don't require it, it's an additional financial aid form that's going to be uh, five times as long as the FAFSA. And who cares what it stands for? I do know, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> Carrie, um, do sibling discounts only apply to SIBs that the same college? No, not at all. Not at all. Great question. Thank you for clarifying. Michelle, are you at a disadvantage if you get an early admission for financial aid in competing schools? Uh, early admission meaning or decision, you could be at a disadvantage. I'm, I'm one of those people who believes in that. Not early action. Early action is not binding. Um, Linda, will the schools that require both FAFSA and CSS give a sibling discount? Um, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, Preeti, do the savings earned by the student also considered when giving the aid? Yeah. Money in a kid's name penalizes you severely. <laughs> Income in a kid's name used to penalize you from dollar one. Now they can earn up to ninety four hundred bucks, and then the penalty happens over that income threshold. But savings, they're penalized at fifty percent of the amount. I'm sorry, twenty five percent of the amount saved in a student's name, like a like a um, UTMA, an UTMA, or an UGMA. All right, only five more hours of questions. Um. Darwin thanking me for liking his name. Okay. I meant that, buddy. Uh, Vince, net price calculators are for need-based aid only true. Some of them blend merit. <clears throat> All right. 
question from Melissa. How do you shelter properties? That's a long answer. Um, I think instead of thinking about sheltering properties, it's really more about what can you do to decrease the valuation, which is either by lowballing the value or having a larger mortgage against it or something like, or combination or something like that, um, which may or may not be feasible. There's other nuances, but I gotta, gotta move here. Burning daylight. Uh, Lori, if, um, if a child has some money in their name, where can it be sheltered? So we'll, we'll probably do a, a more a, a more fulsome um, webinar on that one. But briefly, insurance products and annuities are the two most common shelters. But I just have to say this as a recovering attorney, they don't always work. They don't work for every family. You got to be careful understanding what you're putting your money in. Um, we personally use life insurance, you know, a lot for us and our family. That doesn't mean you should. Um, so there's a lot of other factors. <clears throat> so I'm a believer in it, but not for everybody. Lisa, with the net price cal- will the net price calculator on the College Board say, with, I'm sorry, with the net price calculator, some colleges say 90% aid, Columbia, and some show barely any aid, Vassar. Any reason for this? Yeah, well, the main reason is, number one, is the calculators are, are um, uh, not uniform. Number two, colleges vary in terms of how generous they are. So the endowment for Columbia, you know, which is much older and larger than Vassar, is, is going to be um, significant, and that allows them to be more generous than Vassar. So mm-hmm. it's probably a combination of those things. But every school, you're dealing with that in one way, shape, or form. Question from Doug. For the 529, can the contribution be – by the way, you guys find this helpful because, I, I mean, I love doing this. Uh, it's, it's been a couple months since we did a webinar. So I just want to make sure that you're, you're getting – you know, what you came for. And, and I want to make sure that you um, get your, your questions answered. So this is consider this last call for your questions. Pearl. Okay. So put that in the chat too. Pearl's. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be, I can't do the super specific questions with 200 people on, on this call. Um, for the 529, can the contribution be transferred to other family members or even close friends that grandparents, grandparents can be risky given their age. Yeah. And their habits. Um, <coughs> all that wheel of fortune. Um, it's transferring ownership. So I am not a, you know, I, I, I'm, an, I'm an independent college advisor. I'll sell um, 529s or mutual funds or anything like that. So I'm not the expert on that, but for the most part, it doesn't matter as long as it's not the parent who owns the 529. It can be, I believe, a non-grandparent, but check with your broker. <coughs> Excuse me. Chris Kipperman, thank you for a very happy client. Oh, thanks for saying that, and thanks for being happy. Um, Chris has an interesting business, right? Right out in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, I can see you saying you have a um, that certain conditions, political conditions uh, affected your business. Faux show. Because <coughs> nobody gets arrested anymore, and I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> uh, Inna, another client. Hello, Inna. FAFSA does not use primary residence for value. Is that still the case? Yes, that is still the case, but the CSS profile does. So, good question. She's an attorney. She's wicked smart. Natasha, does applying early decision allow you to get financial aid? It does, but I, I, I just think it's not great to not be able to use other offers to play off against your early decision school. Um, 
Patricia, is it true that twins can can get discounts at colleges? Um, they usually get discounts because of the financial aid rules, you know, the sibling discount, which is going away. But yeah, it could be. Uh, it could be true. Depends on the school. Um, Doug, can the 529 be transferred to other family members? Yes. Um, Diane, what is a UTMA or UGMA? Those are both um, investments that you put in the name that you put away for your kids, but they're in the kids' names with you as the custodian. Uh, Mary Alice, can you repeat your comment? Those those money in your kids' names penalize you the worst. They will penalize you twenty five percent of that amount. So if you had uh, hypothetically one hundred thousand dollars saved in a in a trust account, Uniform Trust to Minors Act (UTMA) or Uniform Guardianship for Minors Act, UGMA, that's what those two accounts are named after, um, you're, you would lose $25,000 of eligibility. That same $100,000 in your own name as a parent, you lose only 5%, $5,600. If you had that same $100,000 in an exempt asset, such as an insurance policy, for example, um, disclaimer, 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 um, then you would lose zero eligibility because that's off of your balance sheet and it's all legal and ethical so that those were probably the comments you wanted repeated hopefully you're not wearing a wire and you're not recording this ha 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 financial aid joke college advisor joke this guy's good non-refundable okay linda any way to do a practice fafsa wow linda before you submit a real one (coughs) um well you could probably get a paper one somewhere online and you could also fill one out and print it out and not submit it. It's hard to submit by accident because all kinds of weird logins and verifications and all, all sorts of crap that I don't want to get into now. Um, Marianne, you know, what that reminds me of is my is like my, my mom has to go to the airport to pick up someone who's coming in to visit her. She'll do the day before, she'll do a dry run to the airport just to make sure she knows how to get, to get there. So you can do it, you can do it. And I don't think she's on this uh, webinar for some reason tonight. So you can do a dry run FAFSA. Uh, Marianne, have been receiving aid with Pell Grant and then college aid. Taxes will now make us not qualify for any aid. So in appealing the college, they can only work within their monies. Can they appeal to get the Pell Grant? Um, the Pell Grant rules are pretty cut and dry. They have to do with your student aid index, you know, formerly EFC. So... Um, but they may have their own money to be able to help you make up the shortfall. And there's some, there is some discretion with the Pell Grant, but for the most part, they're, they're pretty um, formulaic. And I, again, I don't know your particulars, but the, um, the, re- the requirements for the Pell Grant or the, uh, I should say the ability to get a Pell Grant just got a little bit easier because they, they um, um, increase the, uh, the, the income limits. That's the short of it. Melissa, if a sibling or child earns money in, in the entertainment industry and it is put in an untouchable Coogan account, does it count against? Yeah. So uh, that's a very specific question, but it's interesting. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, answer that one. <clears throat> so the Coogan account is named after some child actor who had uh, earned a bunch of money. The parents just ripped off the kid, squandered all the money, even though it was the kid's money. That's the story I think uh, I've, I've heard about it. Um, the answer is that is technically a child's money, but you would, so you, you would disclose it, but then you'd appeal. Well, 
they can't touch it until the age of, you know, whatever, 21. So I can't use it to pay for college. I actually don't know if that's the case. But if you have a situation where there is a trust, whether it's this specialty trust or some other trust, and the child cannot touch it until they hit certain um, age um, limits, and those age limits prevent you from using it to pay for college, number one, disclose it. Number two, appeal and explain that because that is highly relevant. Um, <laughs> all right. Some enthusiasm from uh, Matt and from Darwin Bravo. That should be like a, sound like a detective show. Darwin Bravo coming up at eight o'clock. Um, this week, Darwin unravels. The, okay, never mind. <clears throat> all right. So anything else? Last call. I think we are almost done. Yeah, it looks like we're done with the consults. Those got snapped up. Pearl, any last comments that you want to throw in the chat? Uh, I think I've thrown in just clarifying. Clarifying. The divorce rule. And for whatever it's worth. Okay, Pearl, you want to come over and just say this so people can actually hear you? She's clarifying the divorce rule. I think we had a lot the of. The divorce rule has definitely been contentious. Okay. And to the extent that there may be questions, issues about who claims who, the the default is going to be whichever parent provides more financial support, Got it. no longer who, who resides with the parent. Okay. And if there is a question, it is going to be which parent has the higher adjusted gross income. That is the rule. Okay. How it's going to be played out remains to be seen. That was off-camera Pearl, kind of like Charlie and Charlie's Angels, just hypothetical. Um, there is there is confusion, but for the most part, the divorce rules are now aligned with income, the income rules. Before they were not. That's that's what you want to take away from there. All right, not bad. A little over an hour. I think uh, I think you got a good overview. I hope you found this helpful. Uh, if you need to talk to us, that's of course, that's what we're around for. And if you have any friends or family or whatever that is also struggling with not just paying for college, but you know, that uh, we're really good at college advising stuff, you know, helping kids position themselves to get into top colleges and the essays and applications. Some people hire us at the last minute, a lot of people hire us in ninth and tenth grades. It's not just us, we have other people who help us out here, including a couple who are on this call tonight, which is awesome. Uh, and I want to thank you for spending your time with us this way. Have a great night and be on the lookout for another few presentations now that the school year is underway. We're going to be coming at you with 